Hello and welcome to another episode of The Coder Career. I'm your host as always, Cameron Blackwood, and today I'm joined by my guest, Stevo the Dev. Stevo, like myself, is a fellow career changer based in Scotland's Central Belt. He has a fascinating story going from musician to tour operator to developer. Stevo is also a fantastic content creator. You can find his links in the description. Today's interview is primarily themed around the lessons we've learned and what advice we'd give to people who are embarking on the same journey that we started on. Remember, if you want to chat more and suggest ideas for episodes, do feel free to join the Discord. It is for free and it is in the description. And now on with the pod. The labour market as a whole is changing and tech companies are always at the forefront of innovation. More and more companies are adopting a four-day work week, so 32 hours at a full salary. Imagine what you could do with an extra day in your week. You could spend more time with your family, work on side projects or take up a new hobby. And that's why I'm delighted to say that The Coder Career is brought to you by 4dayweek.io. Created by previous guest, Phil McParlin, it's a job board where you can find the very best jobs that work a 32-hour work week. So what are you waiting for? Get that extra day in your week. Go to 4dayweek.io to find out more. Hey, Steve-O, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, great. How are you doing? Yeah, can't complain, can't complain. It's it's absolutely freezing here, but I feel like I start every podcast by complaining about how cold or wet I am in general, but I would just get sunburnt otherwise. So it's just how it is. I mean, you're, you're fairly close by to me, aren't you, actually? You're, I, I can't remember if you're in Edinburgh or Glasgow. You're somewhere in the Central Belt, right? Yeah, um, I used to live closer to, to Edinburgh, um, but I've actually just moved to uh, Coatbridge, which is um, oh, nice. closer to Glasgow. So, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, still central belt, so still getting the, the cold weather. <laughs> so. <laughs> cold weather, but we also get hoagies in our takeaways, which if you are not from Scotland and you come and visit, get into your nearest uh, like kebab house, get yourself a hoagie and you'll be sorted. Anyway, for people who are not familiar with yourself or hoagies, um, do you want to give a bit of an introduction into who you are and what you're all about and what you're working on? Sure. Um, so I'm... Stable the Dev, um, based on my YouTube channel name, which is Stable the Dev. Um, basically, I'm a self-taught software engineer um, who, in 2020, um, was actually a, a tour bus driver slash tour guide. Um, and then, obviously, we all know what happened in 2020 and lost my job and things like that. And then, basically, don't say the actual word. It gets the podcast <laughs> like we'll get a flag saying "Don't talk about this." <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a, a no bueno. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we know what happened. Um, so, yeah, that happened. And then basically, I became a software engineer. I just basically took most of my savings, I think, um, a, a lot of money, and dove into a, a coding boot camp, uh, Code Clan, which is quite well known here in, in the Central Belt because I think it's like the only sort of big coding boot camp we have here. I think um, it is the only one, yeah. A former podcast yeah. sponsor as well, so shout out to Coplan. Thanks very much for supporting yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's maybe other ones maybe up and coming, but yeah, nothing as big as, as that, I think. Um, yeah, and then did that after sort of a couple of months learning on my own and things, and then came out of that, spent a couple of months looking for a job, and then the rest is history, really. Managed to get a job. The, the story of how I got a job is quite interesting, actually, in itself, but um, managed to get a job, and then... You know, two years later, still doing it. So, got another job Very again, nice. and yeah, it's going well. Very nice. That's uh, it's interesting. We actually have shared a job before. Uh, I I don't have it my LinkedIn or anything, but I also used to be a bus tour guide. Did you did you do it up here in Scotland or? 
Yeah. Um, so I was based in Edinburgh, which is, you know, I used to live closer to there, so it was convenient then, maybe not now. Um, and we used to do tours up to like the Highlands and things. Oh, nice. And so up to like Loch Ness was like the common one because that's where everyone goes, right? To look for Nessie. Um, but yeah, we used to go to like the sky and, you know, like all the islands and stuff as well, and like the North Coast and um, even like the borders and stuff as well, um, which is quite nice. So yeah, it's, it was it was really cool. It was really fun, but it was really exhausting as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I can imagine. Job, it's yeah, it's hard going, especially in the summer. You know, you're away from home all the time and long hours as well. Um, but it's it's an experience. I would say that. Yeah, it's one of those jobs. Like I struggled to deal with the general public for such a long time um while I was doing it so I would do I did it in London um so I'd do three three hour tours a day basically and by the end I was just like not having it I think when I did that I realized I was maybe not the best suited um to working uh with uh in something immediately client facing so obviously I went and did sales and recruitment for like four years um but uh yeah then I found my place but yeah tour guiding it is it's a fun job but it is a, a as you say it's an exhausting job and I think I would much prefer to sit at home in the cold weather and make API calls all day. That is a lot more fun. Exactly. <laughs> much cooler. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was the process um, for you? Because you, you've got kind of three kind of um, careers, haven't you? Because you've got the the, the tourist stuff, um, but then you're also a musician. musician. So you, you went to uni for music, right? How, how did you start with that and end up becoming a software engineer? Because it's an interesting link. Lots of people have that, musician to software engineer. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, basically, at school, um, that was sort of all I was interested in, music. Um, I was a bit of an edgy teenager <laughs> went through that phase you know, I still love music to be fair and I'm still a bit of an edgy teenager at heart um just don't look so much like it but um yeah I just spent my entire time at school sort of living and breathing music basically that's all I wanted to do so I took that route and went to um uni doing that um sort of tech stuff was always in the back of my mind because I remember sort of early in school um, I used to do like computing classes and stuff uh, and we had like a little sort of module where we did programming and we were using Scratch I don't know if you've heard of that yeah I've used it uh, yeah. when I did CS50 I, um, hmm. I, I I tried it and it's it's a lot of fun it's actually quite hard to make something good but yeah it's pretty satisfying once you get it working yeah yeah it was, I remember doing that and it was it was really fun um, we made like a little silly game that was like it was like King Kong or something you had to like you know, climb the skyscraper and dodge the planes and stuff. It was, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, um, I remember that. It was sort of in the back of my, my mind, sort of as a, another thing I enjoyed, but just didn't go down that that route, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not clever enough for that. I'm not smart enough, you know. Um, so it was more like the creative type of music and stuff. So that and I sort of failed maths as well. So I thought, well, I'm definitely not the logical type. So um, I'm just going to go to music then, even though I passed physics quite easily so I don't, I don't know how that happened but anyway um went for that did that got a degree got my bachelor's in music um and then found out i didn't like it <laughs> like as a like a profession um i sort of just managed to drag myself through that degree by the end and then i tried to do something with it whether it was like teaching because i quite like teaching stuff as well so i tried to go into teaching it didn't really work. 
especially we don't really get on the kids that well. I'm not really a kid person, so, <laughs> so uh, that didn't, didn't really work out when most music lessons are with kids the vast majority of the time. And so. they're probably not that competent at the uh, instrument they're playing, I would imagine, the vast majority. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's not so much an issue because the, the, the basics, I suppose, are the easiest to teach. But it, yeah, it's the, you have to have the patience to, you know, keep them from being distracted and stuff like that. So it's, it wasn't really for me and there definitely wasn't like a full-time income in that either. Um, so I ended up stopping doing that. And I tried to do film music for a while as well. Um, so I did actually make a little bit of money from this as well. But again, it wasn't like an income sort of they can live on. Um, I made a, I remember it was quite a funny story from this. I made like a two minute sort of, music sort of just like background music for like a, a short film that ended up in like an indie film festival kind of thing um and they were playing this these sort of trailers and things um and uh where was it it was in edinburgh somewhere i think it was like the playhouse or something i don't know um it was in edinburgh and my partner's sister uh was doing theater stuff at the time and she must have done something else or even for that thing um, because she was at the festival and she was watching the stuff as well with like you know my partner was there and their family and things, and they're sitting there they're watching the credits for this trailer and then my name comes up I hadn't mentioned to her that I'd done this this was like a few years after I'd done it, and uh, she just see my name and she went that's Steve <laughs> what's he doing on this and I was like oh yeah I wrote film music she's like what and we had, we'd been seeing each other for about a year at this point so this is weird but um. Weird I hadn't mentioned that, but yeah, it was that was funny. But yeah, that didn't really go anywhere ultimately. So um that was it was just kind of like a fun thing that I tried. Quite liked it, but again, it wasn't like a full time income in it. Um so at that point I was what age was I? I must have been about twenty, twenty one at this point. Um so I was I'm I'm a bit older than that now. <laughs> I think we were roughly the same age, I think. Um so um yeah, after that I had to find a full time job. So I basically gave up the whole music thing and that's when I went into uh, buses basically because my family um, were there's a few family members basically that are involved in the, the transport industry and things um, so it was kind of like a natural sort of jumping off point of well they're doing it they're making enough money and I like driving and things you know I like cars and stuff so I thought well you know that, that doesn't sound too bad just driving around all day and taking money and stuff like <laughs> just kind of looking at people and going there's your ticket and then that's that's it and then just drive around sounds easy so it's not easy by the way so alert. <laughs> it's, no, it's i can not. imagine especially a bus <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh it's quite stressful at times actually um it definitely wasn't yeah i didn't want to stick around there for long it wasn't a very good job at all uh they don't get paid very well either which is uh not good um yeah Actually, it's it, I I borderline say that it's it's almost criminal how much they don't get paid. Like it's ridiculous how low it is. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a thing that happened. So I did that, and at that point, music kind of just became a distant memory. Really, um, I still listen to it. You know, I still I still played it for a bit here and there, but like studying it for so long just kind of took the passion away to to play and stuff because I just you just kind of criticize everything at that point. Like if it's, if it's something that you've studied for that long and had like critiqued for that long by professionals and things like you can't really sit and play stuff for fun. 
I find. And mm. That's what happens, I find, when you turn anything into a career. Sometimes you just make it too professional to enjoy. Right? It's just, can't really be a hobby at that point. But, like, listening to it, I can still do that. I still kind of overanalyze stuff at times. And I get bored with stuff really easily. But that just means I've got quite, like, a, a wide music taste, I guess. So it's, it's that as well. So, I, yeah, it's, it's still in my life, but it's not something that I do, basically. So... Yeah, it was a bit of a, dare I say, busman's holiday relating to your previous job. (laughs) (laughs) So how how did you end up discovering tech then? Um, I mean, you go into some detail more on your YouTube channel, actually, which I should definitely shout out because you make some really great videos. Um, How did you how did you discover it from you? So you're driving the buses at this point and then you discover tech. What's the story there? And what what made you uh, sign up CoClan and everything? Um, so the actual point where I sort of turned around and went, this is what I want to try and this is what I want to do. Um, basically it was round about the time, not when I had been laid off, but I knew I was going to be laid off. Um, I'd actually already been looking for work sort of just before all the COVID stuff kicked off, just not doing like tech stuff. It was, I was actually looking at like sales jobs and stuff, just trying to think like, what else can I do with like customer service experience and stuff like that? Uh, what else would I be good at? And um, that, you know, I, I did a couple of interviews and things, but nothing really worked out. Um, so I was kind of at a loss, really. Um, and then when I actually did get laid off, um, that's kind of run about the point where I'd, uh, I'd already started learning. But basically, the weeks leading up to that, um, I was looking at different things to do. And then I just happened to remember... Um, you know, back at school, like, what other kind of stuff was I doing at school and things? What else do I know? And I was sort of thinking about, you know, that sort of programming stuff we did in, like, the early years, um, using, like, Scratch and things. And um, I think, well, maybe I should give that a go again. Maybe I should go and see, well, how do you actually do that? Like, is Scratch still a thing? Like, <laughs> I literally had to go and Google that again. Like, I was like, you know, how do you actually get into this stuff? Could I do this stuff as a career? And that's when I filled in the rabbit hole of like software engineers and, you know, what kind of stuff that they do, what kind of stuff you need to know and, you know, the kind of like, you know, kind of money you can make and like working from home and stuff like that. And, you know, how good a career it is, like the the working sort of conditions as well um, are generally really good in comparison to what I've experienced in the past. Um, And I thought, well, this sounds great. So if I can get into that without a degree as well, I don't have to go back to, to uni or anything like that, then then great, I'll do that. So, um, yeah, basically, it's probably around spring at this point, sort of Mar- March, April. That was around the time I'd been laid off. But at the same time, I was like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm learning Python. <laughs> That'll get me a new job, right? Um, so, yeah, um, learning Python for a couple of months and uh, probably around sort of, probably around May, I think. I was like, I'm going to join up a coding boot camp now, I think, because... I was like, I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm going to try and get a job doing this. And I thought the quickest way to do this, because I, well, I didn't have all day to do it. I didn't have all year even like to, to do it because I was kind of just running on savings at that point that I got from like the tourism stuff and that. Um, luckily, I was I was living with my, my dad, actually, so I didn't have to like pay for like a, a mortgage or anything just yet. So um, luckily, you know, no dependence of that either. So I sort of, had a little while to to study, but not forever. So basically, I researched 
coding boot camps and things because I came across the, the term on YouTube and things. Um, Code Clan came up, dug a bit into them, realized they were sort of a legit business. It wasn't like a, a scam course or anything because there was a lot of that. Because um, like the SQA, you know, they're sort of backing it and things, which I thought, well, that's, that's obviously decent. Um, you can't be too much wrong with it if that's the case. And, you know, I've seen a lot of good testimonials and stuff as well. There was a lot of people saying good st- stuff about it. So, um, yeah, I kind of just dove in at that point, um, got in touch and, you know, applied for the course, got on the course. And, and yeah, that was a thing for four months. <laughs> Went for that and, yeah, still wanted to do it afterwards. I, I would hope so, because that's a lot of money wasted if it didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I know a lot of people drop out and things, which, you know, um, I, I couldn't have imagined myself doing it. at that point. I was like, I, I don't have a choice. Like this, I put myself in this position now. This is what I'm doing. So I had to be sure um, that that's what I wanted to do. But obviously, I was I was right, I guess, because um, I'm still doing it. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think for for me uh, with with the dropping out stuff, I think for me the reason why people often seem to drop out of coding boot camps. So. I, I'm a weird one where I'm kind of self-taught, kind of went to a boot camp. So I went to like a React course that was a few weeks, um, but I'm mostly self-taught. So I'm kind of a hybrid of the two. Um, but from what I've observed with boot camp dropouts, because I've spoken to a few people that have been considering if it's for them, a lot of the time, um, assuming it's a good boot camp and they're not dropping out because boot camp's rubbish, um, they're dropping out because they didn't, commit enough time to it before to realize that it's something for them and i reckon realistically if i i'm not trying to gatekeep here but if you're going to spend money on a coding boot camp especially if it's not money that you can really afford to lose then i would advise you need to spend at least 100 hours coding before before you do that and ideally cover the majority of the syllabus via self-teaching because then you, you get to this point when you you get into the syllabus and then other people are going to be behind you. So you can help explain those concepts to people, which is such an important skill. So that's kind of how I think boot camps can be done the right way because you're ahead of the curve that way. And then you can take a leadership role through all the projects and stuff like that. But I mean, what what do you think about that? Do you agree? Yeah, 100%. Um, I didn't quite spend 100 hours, but I, yeah, I think 100 hours is a good, a good benchmark. Um, I probably wasn't far off that, but... Yeah, I, I could have ideally spent a little bit longer. Um, but it is kind of what you said, like, at least for the first few weeks, I was like, oh, yeah, I know this stuff. And I was sort of telling people how to how to do it and things. And then we got to the frameworks. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Um, but like, when it came to all like, the basics and stuff, um, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, I know how to do all this stuff. I've, I've done it. Like, it's, it's fine. Um, and then, yeah, it eventually the course started to catch up with what I'd learned previously. And then I was like, okay, now I'm starting to struggle a little bit, but you know, if you can, like the more you can do before you start one of these courses, you'll get more out of it basically. So if you don't have a lot of money past, you know, what, like what, what you need to buy the course, like buy your time on the course, if you don't have much other than that to, to live on or anything like that, then, you know, you, you really have to make it worth it if you, if you're absolutely 100% determined to put all that money into it. So the best thing you can do, as you said, is, is spend as much time as you can on um, on going through the stuff yourself and understanding it as much as you can because as much as you think you understand it the first time listening to it, you, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. Um, 
to go over it as much as you can and yeah give yourself as much as an opportunity to absorb it as you can basically yeah the the human mind um improves recollection through repetition and also through mixed sources so you know if you're listening to it from an instructor you're reading it yourself the first time because you're doing this before um the cody boot camp and then when you're on the coding boot camp you're going to recall a bit more once it's spoken to you by the instructor and then when you're writing out the code itself it's going to be clear and then you're going to recollect um recall more so yeah it, it's it's definitely the um the best way to do it and obviously that 100 hours figure for me that's just something i plucked out of my head so people who are listening please don't panic um i, I think i'm more just meant spend at least a couple of months or so not coding like all the time obviously but like coding pretty regularly just seeing if it is for you um, you don't have to understand everything but like just seeing if it is for you it's usually a good a good yardstick so to speak um and and for you now uh because we have a lot of people who are in that process now boot camp or self-teaching and they're curious about what it looks like on the other side you've been a um you've been a full-time dev for about two years now if i understand correctly what's a typical day in the life like for you now uh no it's it's pretty chill to be honest <laughs> it's uh working from <laughs> home is uh, great that way um your first job might not be a fully remote work from home kind of deal and it certainly wasn't for me and that's that's fine that's just it's the nature of the beast really um but you do eventually get to that and it's, it's great basically but how it is for me just now is well I, saying that i'm actually editing a video about this just now <laughs> which is interesting but um it's funny timing but uh basically what i do on a day-to-day basis is I wake up around eight, I'd say, um, sort of roughly eight o'clock, fall out of bed around then. <laughs> um, I'll go downstairs, grab some breakfast and things, turn the laptop on, check Slack, check tickets, sort of remind myself of what I was doing the day before because, I, you know, I can't even remember what I ate the day before, never mind a ticket <laughs> I was working on. So, yeah, definitely give that look over again. Um yeah, if I've got any Slack messages or anything sort of that needs my attention, do that. Otherwise, I might sort of get to work. Um, but then around half nine, that's when we do our daily stand-up or, or scrum or whatever, um, where we talk about what we've been doing. Uh, we sort of start, we do it in a way where we sort of work backwards from QA to the devs. So we basically go to the QAs first and ask them, like, you know, how are the tickets getting on? Is there anything that's came up? any issues any blockers etc um and then eventually they'll that'll get to the devs and then we'll go back sort of back the way towards um anything being tested by the devs so we do dev testing as well anything in pr any open pull requests and then finally back to like the sort of in progress stuff in the backlog kind of thing um and just talk about all that you know any blockers any issues stuff to raise stuff to raise in general other than just the tickets after that as well and then that typically for us lasts sort of between 15 minutes and half an hour it depends on what's happening really um and then from about 10 o'clock onwards it's usually a mixture between either solo sort of working solo on my own tickets um pair programming we do that quite a bit so i'll pair up with someone else in my team there's me and two other devs on my team um so that's so I feel like that's like a common size for for most dev teams. Usually three or four devs on like oh like a medium to large size company. I think my current one's massive. Devs. We've got like ten devs on our team. It's huge. Really? Wow. Um. 
yeah, so maybe many more. <laughs> yeah, like three to four devs, I suppose, is, is to be expected for... Yeah, that's about time. average. I think for ours, is because it's split yeah. between a couple of projects. Yeah, ah, fair enough. Um, we, we've got other like sort of teams within a team as well. We've got like a larger team, which obviously mm. there's, there's loads of teams in that. But um, we've got like a sort of little mini team where we have our own our own stand up and things like that as well. Um, but yeah, I go to one of the other two devs because they're a lot more senior to me as well, um, which is an interesting dynamic. <laughs> um, we sometimes pair on things and that. And other than that, if I'm not working on stuff either myself or with someone, um generally at a meeting of some sort whether it's uh sprint planning or like estimating tickets come in for like uh new features new projects and things um you know bugs and things if you need to talk about a blocker and a bug or or even a feature to blockers in general or anything that needs discussing you know just anything you know any sort of thing that we need a meeting for um that could take place sort of between 10 and 12 um or we sometimes have them in the afternoons as well. It just depends on people's calendars sort of line up. Um, but then 12 o'clock is when I take lunch. We're quite flexible that way where we can kind of just take lunch whenever, really. Um, but we generally take about an hour. So I take mine sort of 12 to 1, which is, I guess, expected. Um, and then it goes back to sort of, you know, work on whatever or have a meeting with whoever. Um, sometimes in the afternoons, like, on the last Friday, like a sprint, um, like if anyone's listening doesn't know, a sprint's two weeks long. Um, so at the end is sort of every two weeks. Um, we get a few weeks back, a few weeks, a few hours back, sort of in Friday afternoons to do like the personal development time uh, or innovation time, as we call it, um, where you can basically just learn or sort of upskill or do what you want. Um, it might be beneficial to the company, it might not be. They like it if it is, but you can just kind of learn stuff that will help you do like w- what it is that you do just better, um, which is quite nice. So sometimes I learn new things. Sometimes I'll just um, brush up on, um, you know, array methods or something. I don't know. It's something that's sort of applicable to the, the job I'm doing. Um, and then other times we'll have things. We've got like a regular meeting that we have uh, called the retrospective where again, if you don't know, um, basically is like a meeting where you at the end of every sprint you'll talk about what went well and what didn't go well in, in the sprint basically and then like record any sort of actions that need to be taken uh, going forward to try and avoid that basically um, to try and sort of do better and <laughs> um, so we we have those as well um, but other than that I kind of just like you know at lunch I just kind of sort of chill sometimes I go out for walks and things I do house chores and stuff because I can you know I'm at home um, you know, I'll, I'll catch up on YouTube, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever. Um, that's the great thing about it. You can just kind of go about life, sort of run about work, just kind of, you know, you, you do some work and then if you need to go and do something, you know, you can because you're in the house. You know, if the cat needs immediate attention, you can give it immediate attention. <laughs> I get that a lot. In fact, I've literally just seen his paw under my door. <laughs> um and he's got real habit as soon as the podcasting comes out uh podcasting equipment comes out he is trying to get in the room like uh he loves the cover of my microphone i don't know if you've had that with uh with your cat but oh we'll just try and pull it off each time or like back to it it's horrendous it's especially when trying to uh, if i'm trying to interview someone he's headbutted the mic a few times and it really distorts the audio and it's a nightmare um when i'm uh editing it 
Yeah, no, my, my, my cat um, has this thing where if I'm uh, like on a meeting or talking to someone or something like that, he will jump up on the desk or on my lap or something and like stare at my hands for ages for some reason, sort of <laughs> moving around and stuff. And eventually he'll try and he'll try and go for them. He'll try and attack and just get in the way and start meowing. And I don't know if it's like an attention thing or what, but probably is. But yeah, that's that's annoying. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, um, owner, like when you pick up the uh, you pick up the cue, you just develop such a way of knowing when they're going to attack. Like I I'd never owned a cat before. I'd always liked them, um, but I'd always grown up with dogs. And we got Earl last year. And um, we call this, he has this thing that we call sport mode where his ears just tilt slightly backwards. And that's how you just know you've got to get your hand out of the way because it's going to get pinned. <laughs> yeah, they've always got a tail, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they wouldn't be good at poker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we talked a bit about innovation time and uh, stuff like that. So we call it 10% time at my job, actually. So I've, I've heard a few different names for it. Um, I guess that's one way that you've upskilled throughout your career. But what are some other ways you've upskilled? Because you, you've progressed quite a bit in those two years now, the point where you're, you know, comfortable in, I think, in your second dev job now, where you're getting more senior and, and things like that. What would you say is the secret for someone who wants to maximize that first couple of years in their career like you have? Um, I think one thing which might be controversial to some, I don't know, but it's, a, it's definitely a strong opinion I have, is job hopping's okay. <laughs> it, oh, it absolutely um, is. Yeah, like, I know some people are kind of, like, all about the loyalty kind of thing, but, I mean, businesses, especially if you're new, like, and it's quite a small business, will drop you, you know, as soon as they have to drop you for whatever reason, they they will, they won't hesitate. And for the same reason alone, you probably shouldn't hesitate to look elsewhere. Or if a better offer comes along, you shouldn't refuse it just because you sort of owe something to a company for say giving you a chance or something like that. Um, my first job, my manager was kind of one of these people. He was someone who was in a bad place and then got his job as sort of um, sort of creative director or whatever. He was like a designer basically um, in my old place, and um, he'd been there for years and he was quite unhappy with a lot of the stuff that was going on and. You, you could tell that, but you just had this sort of blind loyalty in, in a way, um, no matter what went on. And, you, you know, I, I could literally show him, like, here's what you could be doing. Like, here's all this other stuff. Like, why don't you go and try something else? Or, you know, you learn a lot of other things. You'd meet new people. Like, you you know, it's a kind of no-brainer for not, not just salary-wise, but, like, you know, you, you learn a lot of new stuff. You meet a lot of new people and you get to work on a, a lot of new things. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons um, why you should sort of switch jobs every so often, even if you do have experience. And um, you're just like, yeah, no, I, I like it here. I, you know, <laughs> these guys gave me a, gave me a job. It gave me a chance when I, um, you know, when I didn't have anything else. And that was kind of his excuse for sticking with them really. And um, I, I always thought, you know, he's got so much potential to do a lot more because he's really good at what he does, but that holds him back. Um, so one thing one thing I do like to hold on to is like if you really want to upskill and learn new things and, and experience new things and things like that, I don't like don't get attached to 
any particular project or like company or anything like that like go where it makes most sense for you to be for your own development basically how, how do you know where that is is it uh do you do you get that feeling like mentally that you're being challenged just enough about being completely chucked in the deep end like how would you say someone can tell yeah i'm in the right place now i found the right thing for me at this time uh, i think it's different for everyone but for me in my first job the reason uh, i left was well, one of the main reasons i left um was actually sort of for ups, upskilling reasons it was um i, I kind of hit a wall there was no mm. one senior to me um i was the only dev for a while actually and then um there was a second dev that was brought in sort of kind of under me um he did have a bit less experience than me but he, he did come on really quickly to be fair um so you know, I, I kind of just got to a point where I was like, this isn't really what I want to be doing. Uh, a lot of the work I was doing was sort of dev adjacent as well. It wasn't strictly dev stuff. I was sort of playing the role of like product as well um, and doing sort of admin stuff, um, like answering back to clients and things. And I was like, this isn't really what I want to be doing. I'm kind of wearing multiple hats here and I'm not learning more of the things that I want to learn, like more like dev stuff, like Know, software engineering and stuff um because it was a it was ultimately it was like a small web agency so we're you know it was only a few people handling sort of everything and uh, multiple clients and sort of building multiple projects for you know all these different clients and things um and we had to you know we had to manage all that stuff as well as build it and that it wasn't always a satisfying experience to build it either because a lot of the times it was just things like just setting up sort of WordPress websites from like previous templates and things like we'd have sort of base templates and they just chuck their theme over it. And it was really just sort of admin at that point. And so uh, in my head, that sort of clicked after a while for me. And I was like, this plus any actual coding project I get to work on going nowhere and not being that satisfying. I was like, I, I need to find an actual sort of an actual software engineering job. Now I think now I've got a little bit of experience. Um, and just work, work on something a bit more satisfying, I guess, something that's actually going to um, sort of challenge the things that I learned and the things that I know and also help me learn new things and, and learn from people more senior to me, uh, uh, more, most importantly, because I wasn't actually picking up on, like, bad practices and stuff like that. Like, no one was there to tell me, like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that or this is wrong. You know what I mean? Like, that that's that's really important especially as a junior because you will make mistakes like that <laughs> you'll you'll implement stuff you shouldn't or like you'll you'll write something in a way where the logic's not quite right and you you don't quite know why because you maybe don't have the context of how something works or something like that and you really should have a senior to sort of guide you and not not, not necessarily spoon, spoon feed you or anything but just be like you know maybe you should do it this way you know maybe you should consider this thing or whatever um you know best practice is xyz you know um i had none of that basically and that's ultimately what prompted me so um that and a few other things but that was in terms of this like in, you know in relation to upscaling and things that was it was a major reason for me uh, moving so Something I wanted to ask you about in general um, is kind of the future of the dev industry, but more specifically, because you dedicated a whole video to this, which I enjoyed, um, about ChatGPT. Um, what do you think of the future? What What do you think is the future for our role 
over the next few years. And do you think that people need to be afraid of ChatGPT? Do you think we can use it, or do you think it's all just a load of uh, a load of hot air? What, what what's your take on it? And people should watch a full video on this as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so first of all, AI, I think it's going to be a very important tool going forward. I think it's going to be a very useful tool. Um, but people are hyping it up way too much, way too quickly. I think. Um, like at the moment, I wouldn't really rely on it to do your sort of average daily manual task that if done wrong, might potentially have sort of ramifications that, you know, could affect someone's livelihood, for example, or something like that. Like you don't really want any sort of manual tasks where they could otherwise be done by a human be messed up in a way that could have sort of consequences that are serious. You know, AI gets stuff right most of the time, but when it doesn't, it, it can be a, a big problem. If it's like, say, a good example, I guess, you know, I got banned from TikTok, right? <laughs> That's a good <laughs> example, right? I got falsely banned from TikTok after just making an account. Um, for what reason? I don't know. I'm assuming AI is determined that I'm a bot, basically. That's I'm going to just assume that off the bat. Um, and that, that would be wrong of it, right? And what if someone... You know, you get TikTok creators who, you know, make a living through TikTok and, you know, they have, um, you know, companies that, that sponsor them and affiliates and things like that. You know, that's their livelihood. So if they just get randomly permanently banned one day for something that maybe wasn't wasn't necessarily in their control, but they don't know what they've done or something like that, and there's no human interaction there, like, that can be a huge problem, I think. Um, and... You know, eventually, eventually it might get a lot better. But at the moment, I, I think the the reliance we're placing on AI to, to govern that sort of stuff is dangerous. But it is definitely the future. Sort of to, the contrary to that, you know, it's it's something that's going to be a very useful tool. But the the, the key word sort of is going to be. Um, I don't think it's um quite there yet. When it comes to actually replacing, you know, as I said, manual tasks. I've used ChatGPT a little bit actually in not really for code, more for content because I find it much easier to write code from scratch and content. Um, and it's kind of like a very enthusiastic work experience kid where it will get some stuff done but it doesn't mean it's necessarily all going to be right. There's probably going to be some good stuff in there, but you're going to have to have a real look at what it's done. So I, I, I do not want my local hospital to uh, to start using it, for instance. However, for someone like me, um, a lot of the episode descriptions of the podcast, what I'll do is I'll write a synopsis of the, uh, of the podcast episode into ChatGPT as a prompt, and it will spit me out a good SEO-friendly um episode description which is great that's really handy because then i can just stick the links on it put it up on on the uh, on the distribution and then you know i've already noticed a slight uptick in discoverability since i started using it so that's great i still find i replace over 50 percent of what it says but it's something almost psychological about having uh certainly with with um like natural language i guess rather than code uh it's it's very helpful actually having a framework up up on the screen already for me to actually use as a point of reference if you see what i mean so i think it can be yeah very enthusiastic work experience kid would be hard to describe it now the code it writes seems all right um i i yeah wouldn't entirely trust it apparently it just regurgitates a lot of stack overflow uh answers i don't know how true that is though um 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know about regurgitating Stack Overflow either, but I do know that they banned the use of it. <laughs> yeah, um, they did, didn't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's as you said, it's like, it's a really useful tool. It's handy for things like, you know, SEO, you know, um, but I wouldn't trust it to do an operation. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> that. Um, it's got many years, I think, before we could even consider that. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, this is obviously taking it slightly beyond the scope of, of a coding podcast, but I think by the time, by the time AI gets so good that it's going to be replacing more than 15% of people's jobs, we're, and if those jobs are not replaced by new jobs that are created by this AI, if, if basically all those people are, you know, there's no more jobs for them because the, the labor market, um, sorry, not the labor market, the job market has shrunk. Um, but the labor supply has not, then we're going to have to start rethinking an economic system, um, basically. So obviously that's getting way out of scope of this. Uh, but yeah, I think once we get into that point, we're going to have kind of bigger proverbial fish to fry, really. And we'll, we'll have to think about what the world kind of looks like in the future, whether that's UBI or something similar. But um, yeah, I think people, I agree with you, people don't need to worry about it because I don't know how much of an undercurrent it has been, but a couple of people have sort of said to me on TikTok, actually, is it still worth me learning to code? Um, mainly one, because of AI, um, and two, because they're worried it's going to be oversaturated. And I, I would say, you yeah, know, definitely still learn to code. And what, what leads me into my final question for you, actually, uh, would be what advice would you give someone who has made that decision? They're not worried about AI that's going to take their job. They're not worried it's going to become oversaturated. Uh, they've come to you now in 2023 and said, look, I want to learn to code and I want to get a great job in technology. What would you advise them to do, assuming they've maybe only just started to have a cursory look at resources? Funnily enough, I actually made a video about this recently, talking about sort of technical stuff. Um, but basically the sort of TLDR of that is um, like learn HTML, CSS. If you're going to be a web dev, then you're going to, need to know that, right? So like if you want a sort of look into sort of that before you get into the real nitty gritty of it and definitely dive into HTML, CSS, it's kind of the easier sort of part as well because it's not really programming quite yet. But you yeah. will need to know it. De definitely um, don't rush CSS though. Sorry to interject, but definitely don't rush CSS. No, definitely not. Um, CSS is one of those things where it's easy to get the basics of, but can also become quite difficult, quite complex, really fast <laughs> if you you know if you make it complex. Um, but it's it's absolutely essential that you know the basics of that, especially if you're going to do like front end web dev or anything like that. So do that along with that, like in parallel to that, uh, I recommend uh, Git, which is uh, version control um, and command line sort of in parallel with that as well, just learn how the command line works, how to use Git for the command line as well, um, and like navigating through directories and stuff. Um, it's a bit, you know, faster in the long term when you get used to it and ultimately gives you a better understanding of just how that kind of stuff works. It makes you better at debugging and stuff, you know. It's just good to have a, a good understanding of how command line works, computers work, operate, operating systems work in general. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dive too much into that, but like just, you know, if you can learn some of the basics of that and even just some basic computer science stuff, that's that's all helpful. Um, and one good one as well that CodeClan gave me, which is actually one that I, I stick by, is typing. Um, typing speed and just how you type, the typing technique is quite important um, because a lot of people will just type like just like one finger, moving one finger around or a couple of fingers and like they won't like 
touch typing's obviously the best way to do it. And like, as you're just kind of your hands go into the positions, and you know your fingers have the positions that they go to, and you don't have to move your wrists or anything too much. And it's it's good in the long term for not just for like typing speed and stuff, because that obviously makes you a lot faster typing if you do that. But also uh, health wise, it's better for your wrists, better for your hands. You're not going to get like you're not going to get like carpal tunnel syndrome or anything like that as much um it sort of helps that stuff um so yeah practice typing basically because um you'll thank yourself later basically um when you have to type type a lot and it is not nearly as uh stressful on your hands basically when you're you're doing it properly essentially uh, especially if you don't use computers much beforehand if you've come from a background where you've not used computers much at all uh, and you're just kind of getting into it now, then yeah, definitely look at it because I'm I'm going to make the bet that your typing's not exactly great. <laughs> um, you're maybe you're sort of tapping on a phone or something, not exactly typing, you know. So um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a really important one, I'd say. Um, once you've got all that down, um, I'd say basics of programming after that. So like, pick a language. If you're web dev, JavaScript's a good a good bet. It's you know, it's a very good bet. It's it's easy enough to learn syntax wise, and just like sort of the the fundamentals of how it works is sort of easy to understand as well. In comparison to some of the other things you can pick, like say, I don't know, like a lot of people dive straight into like C plus plus, for example, if they want to do game dev, right? Um, because of like Unreal Engine and stuff, and that stuff's very complicated, <laughs> especially as a a new sort of a new dev, someone is starting from zero. Uh, I couldn't imagine diving into C plus plus with no knowledge of like, like computer science or anything like that. Like it, it would have been a nightmare. So, um, I think JavaScript's a good bet for even if you're a back end dev, to be honest, because um, you know, you've got Node, right? So, um, yeah, JavaScript. That's what I did. I did Python as well, but you know, um, JavaScript's a good bet. Do that for I had to do that for a few months just vanilla javascript don't touch a framework because you'll see react and Vue and angular and whatever everywhere but don't touch them <laughs> try and stay away from that because if you don't know the basics of whatever language you're trying to learn then you'll dive into that stuff and then not really know how it works or anything like that and it'll be really hard to debug and you won't know what you're doing and you'll get really fed up with it really quickly basically because you won't know how it works um so it, it's very helpful to understand how it's working sort of behind the scenes and things like that and um, it helps when it comes to actually learning the framework um, you know it sort of helps with, with getting past those sort of uh, those hurdles um, and once you go framework style and stuff as well that's sort of the that's sort of the programming language side of it really before you can start looking for a job I would say but other than that you've got like um, I suppose you've got databases and stuff as well so um, if you're learning JavaScript again, um, a good place to start with that stuff if you want to dive into databases is uh, something like MongoDB, which is like a, a sort of NoSQL, NoSQL um, sort of JSON, which is JavaScript object notation uh, based um, database, which basically just means that is formatted with JavaScript objects, which you'll be familiar with at that point. So it'll be easy to read the read the database collections and stuff. Um, yeah, I agree. It's much easier to get started with that, with, with MongoDB. Like, I'm now moving on to SQL at the moment. 
and it is tough. Like, I, yeah. even as an experienced developer, no sequel, with the biggest of which being MongoDB, is I, I would definitely recommend that to a, to a beginner. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's the easier starting point. Um, but SQL is obviously important. It depends. It depends what you're going to do, but um, a lot of companies use it. it. Depends on the stack. But say if you're going to be a Java dev, for example, you're most likely to use SQL, just sort of the mm. database with the back end. You know? So um, yeah, um, both are important, but that's a good jumping off point if you've been doing JavaScript and things. Um, I mentioned Node as well, you know, if you're going to do back-end stuff with it, if you're going to learn how to make a full stack app, again, you can do that with JavaScript if you want, just to get started. Um, you can use Node. Um, NPM is a package manager to install dependencies and things. Um, you can use things like Express, which means you can use Node to create like a, a little server so you can create projects with it and stuff and send sort of information between your front back-end. Um, Mongoose, which is a way to, if you're learning MongoDB, you can interface with that through Node. Um, so yeah, you can do everything with JavaScript basically. Uh, so that's why I say JavaScript and then everything else is extra, essentially. Um, even other languages, like, you know, learn the JavaScript stuff and then everything else can be learned on top of that, essentially. It's like the bottom of the pyramid. It's like, other than your absolute essentials, HTML, CSS, and Git and whatever. Um, you know that's sort of if you if you've got like the basic the basics of JavaScript down like you know that it's it's a solid base to learn anything off of basically, um, and then you can go on to learn whatever database stuff, other languages, frameworks, cloud services, you know AWS and Azure and all that stuff. Um, you know you name it. You know all that stuff is extra at that point, and then. You know, I'd say at that point you're looking for a job probably, especially if you've got like a framework down and a language and, you know, database stuff and all that. Um, the one thing I'd say when, well, there's actually two things I would say, but uh, the first thing I would say with uh, getting a job is LinkedIn is your uh, is your friend there. Um, it helped me a lot, network and, and get in touch with people and stuff like that. And I've had quite a few offers through LinkedIn. Um, it's... A lot, a lot of job uh, ads get linked back to LinkedIn and stuff, um, whether it's been actually created on there or not. So it's it's a good place to be. It's a good place for employers to discover you and things like that. So it, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're shooting yourself in the foot, basically, if you're not on LinkedIn trying to look for a job. Um, the second thing I would say is a tip that I like to give people, which I've, I haven't really seen other people give. And it's the way I got my first job, actually. Um, so what I did for the first couple of months, I wasn't really having much luck. I got like a an interview or two here or there, but ultimately it was just sort of rejection after rejection. You know, the the standard response for someone who doesn't have any yeah. commercial experience, um, which you know is is to be expected, I guess. But um, what I did was, um, if you remember back earlier in, earlier in the conversation, I mentioned I'd been applying for jobs before all the COVID stuff, like for sales and stuff like that. So what I what I had done at the time is I'd actually connected on LinkedIn through the guy who interviewed me at the time at that company, and I knew it's it's kind of a niche circumstance, but I feel like this kind of stuff might help some people, or it might at least sort of give you you know an idea or something to maybe work on, work off of. Um, basically, what I did I still had him on LinkedIn, and the company I knew at the time that they um, they had a web team, they had a web uh, department that created like websites and projects, apps and things for, for clients and stuff. 
and, and that was ultimately what they were selling anyway. So I, I, I knew that's what they did. So I thought, I'll look into them a wee bit and see, you know, um, more about what they do and stuff. And I'm like, well, this is quite similar to, you know, dev stuff. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of WordPress stuff in, in that that they do. But, like, you know, they might have devs. They might have, you know, a dev or they might be looking for devs. I don't know. So I thought the only way to find out is to ask. So I messaged the guy on LinkedIn. I said, hey, I, and I don't know if you remember me, but uh, we interviewed way back early in the year. Um, and, you know, he's, he's left an impression. I remembered the company and I remembered um, your name and things like that. And so I kept you in, in mind. But since then, I've been sort of upskilling and I've, I've kind of pivoted. <laughs> and I'm now, uh, I'm now a dev, basically. And this is all the stuff I've been doing. I showed them, like, projects and things and, like, you know, my portfolio and stuff. And I was like, here's what I've been doing. Here's, like, you know, the coding boot camp that I've been to and stuff like that. And um, the kind of stuff I'm getting up to now. And... I'm basically looking for a for a job as a as a dev, um, and I know you guys make like websites and things for your clients. So I was wondering if you may have or may be looking for in the future, you know, a position for a, a dev. Um, and he said, um, basically, he said they like my stuff first of all because that's really good that I've been doing that, and he, he did remember me. So you know, always always be. Uh, Always be a likable person because then you'll be remembered. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually that's that's something that can't be understated. Actually, is you know, you know, be a likable person because that's a lot of the reason why people don't get accepted for jobs is they can't see themselves working with that person because they don't they don't gel, they don't really vibe together or whatever. Um, so, um, he remembered me and he said I like my stuff, and then he said, "Funny you should mention that because I was actually talking with." our creative director about, you know, that, you know, you know, do we need a dev for this project coming up? Um, because this is a bit more delving into that sort of custom, you know, custom like code stuff. Um, because they were mostly just WordPress sort of at a WordPress agency at this point. Um and uh he was like, tell you what, leave it with me. I'm gonna go and talk to him and show him all this stuff you've just shown me and I'll get back to you. And and, and let you know what he said and I think about a week later I had the job <laughs> um he um he got back to me pretty quick and he was like listen he really likes your stuff would you be able to come in for an interview um like in a few days time or whatever um which was weird because it was still during COVID so I kind of had to go in with like mask on I had to do my temperature and stuff going in it was it was quite a weird dynamic and I had to sit like half a room away from them but anyway that's weird um, I don't know why they didn't just do a video interview, but anyway, that was, yeah, that was weird. But anyway, um, you know, I did the interview and obviously they liked me and I, I got on with the guy really well because I, I still talked to him for one. We actually became friends for that job. Um, we spent half the interview talking about like games and stuff. Like a lot of it wasn't even like technical stuff. I mean, he was asking me like, what do I know, what I've been doing and things like that. But he got that stuff out of the way pretty quick. And as soon as he realized that I was a gamer, oh, that was him. He was he was <laughs> off in a conversation about games because he's you know, he's a bit of a, a gamer himself. So um that's that's something as well, you know, if you can latch on to something that the interview the interviewer is interested in and you're interested in, like that that's you know, that's a way to that's a way to get your foot in the door. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know. Yeah. So that obviously went really well and I got my my first job. So the sort of TLDR of that is, uh, 
you know, the way you get your first job isn't going to necessarily be applying for all the sort of external ads you see on LinkedIn that get punted out to everyone, you know, just uh, like contact people, try and get in touch with people and sort of sell yourself to people and try and, uh, you know, try and get a job that way um, sort of a less conventional way. Something maybe not as obvious and, you know, um, you might, you might have a better shot then basically. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's something I constantly preach on this podcast, on my YouTube channel, on my TikTok. So listen up, everyone. Steve-O says it too. It's true. You've got to look for jobs in unconventional ways because there's a lot of competition out there and there's going to be far less competition if the job isn't being absolutely blasted everywhere advertisement-wise. So yeah, I mean, I just want to massively thank you, actually, Steve-O, for, for coming on today. It's been a really cool episode. Um, really great to speak to another career changer in the Central Belt. So um, really, uh, really nice speaking. And if people want to find you, how, what's the best way? Uh, best way is well, I've got my YouTube channel, uh, Steve O the Dev. So yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure links and things will be in the description. Be um, down in the description, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just go there. You can go YouTube, Steve O the Dev. Um, Steve O the Dev on Twitter as well. So you can, you know, get get in touch on Twitter as well. Um, and I've got my my email as well, which is uh, Steve O the Dev UK at gmail which I'd probably be in the description as well. So in case I forget, because I always forget the UK because without the UK <laughs> so um yeah so that, that's yeah email twitter or um youtube good good stuff and people can look for a youtube co- uh, collaboration sorry uh from us coming out in the near future depending on depending on when this pod releases it'll be around the same time um so uh we can uh, look up uh, look out for that and uh the link to that will be in the description um or the link to the channel where it will be uh will be in the description as well um so yeah thanks again for coming on and thanks as well to the listeners uh for checking out another episode of the code of career